collect ever. Well, I shouldn't say that because I'm about to tell you how much money we collected, but I don't know for the church how much ever. I keep my mind off it. I keep my hands off it. I don't want to think about it. I don't want to touch it. I want to seek God's kingdom and his righteousness and let him provide for all our needs, as the scripture says, because if I start thinking about it, then mammon's going to be my God, and I'm going to start trying to coerce it or manipulate it. But I do know something. Two weeks ago, I think it's two Sundays ago, Keith got up and he talked about the, uh, <laughs> I keep calling it the uh, white's toilet, septic. It's a big deal. I mean, it's a really big deal. They could be kicked out of their house if the, you know, if the health department knew that their septic wasn't working right. And I don't even know how this is possible, but it is, praise God, without any really heavy instruction, nothing, just a testimony and a word from Keith, you know how much has been donated to help them with their septic in two weeks? $4,300. Honestly, it brings tears to my eyes because this is what the church is supposed to look like. Now, we're not all the way there yet. I mean, I don't even know. The the quote they got was 20000 but... We can't do anything until next spring because they're going to put the restrictions on the road so the heavy equipment that would have to come to do the work won't be able to drive on their road because of the frost laws. So it's not like it all has to happen right now. But I I just, as we're getting ready to pass the basket, I just want to praise God. I just want to praise God because his church is alive. It is absolutely alive, and it's breathing, and and it's functioning. And Father God, I just praise you. We say it. We don't have eloquent words, but we say thank you. We believe for you to meet all our needs. You do it super miraculously sometimes, but mostly you do it through touching the hearts of your people. So, Lord, we say thank you for the offering we're going to collect. We thank you, Lord, for the provision that you've given so far for the whites. We thank you that you prove yourself to be true and real and just awesome. So then we ask your blessing. We ask your power to multiply and your conviction to spend. In Jesus' name, amen. Is this on? Yeah. If you look around, this is a normal Sunday. Where where does four... I mean, I know most all of you, unless you're my secret hidden billionaire, I don't think there's any real big money in our church. But the Lord is blessing. It's just so awesome. I think my thing's on. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to teach. No. Don't stay. I probably need to make a confession. I haven't actually stumbled yet, but I'm very seriously thinking about getting an Ohio State t-shirt. You know, I have some, my mom is from Ohio. My grandpa had Ohio State season tickets from like the 20s until the 80s. I've been to, only Ohio State-Michigan game I've ever been to was in Columbus. I hate them. Man, this is painful. Oh, my goodness. All right. That potential sin we've dealt with. Before um, today's teach... I just want to I just want to go back to Jeff and Nikki for just a minute with a couple of scriptures. One one of my favorite chapters in all of the Bible is Romans chapter 12. That's the one that starts with I beseech you brethren by the mercies of God. I'm doing this from memory, so if somebody says doesn't actually say that, it's probably mixed three or four translations works. But I I beseech you brethren by the mercies of God to offer yourselves, your bodies, living and holy sacrifices acceptable to God. And you read down a little further, in verse 15, there's an exhortation that says, Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. 
we're one body. And, and I think there's a similar scripture to that one in the Corinthians somewhere, but I just didn't have the energy to go look for it. But the point is, what you're feeling, you're feeling because your body is aching in the pain that Jeff and Nikki are feeling in the loss of their, uh, excuse me, their son. And then the second one I wanted to share with you is from 2 Corinthians. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. So when we pray for Jeff and Nikki and Isaiah and Kendall and Alex and Daniel and Brandon and all the rest of the family that's going to mourn, we need to pray that the God of all comfort, that they would receive their comfort comfort from the God of all comfort, who has also comforted us in our affliction such that we can then express that same level of, it says comfort like 20 times. I feel goofy saying comfort 20 times, but that same thing that we got from God to, to comfort us in our time of need, he's given to us not only to comfort us, but that we might have it and express it towards others that need it. So they can get comforted, and they will because they love the Lord straight from heaven, but they're going to also get comforted by his body as we come into contact with them, and we're going to bring the very comfort of the Lord that we've experienced from him into their situation to build them up and to bless them and to love them. Amen. Okie doke. So I remember some number of years ago, Anybody, everybody familiar with the name David Crowder? David Crowder? If you're not, David Crowder is one of the original primary three guys from, I think, what was called the Passion Worship Band. Um, can't think of the other two guys right now. Chris Tomlin, Hall, Charlie Hall, I think. Matt Redman, yeah. Anyway, very famous... You know, they kind of all gone their own way. David Crowder has a band, I think, called Crowder. Um, and my son Joe, our son Joe, was a very big music guy. So he, he knew all the Christian music guys. And he said to me one time, Dad, did you know that David Crowder doesn't believe in the Holy Spirit? I'm like, well, what in the world would cause you to believe that, Joe? And he starts to try to explain to me. And I believe David Crowder's, you know, Christian stream was Baptist. And so what Joe didn't understand was that David Crowder absolutely believed in the Holy Spirit. There's no question that David Crowder was deep enough in his faith to believe in the Holy Spirit. What Joe meant, but he didn't understand, was that David Crowder didn't believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit the manifestations of the Holy Spirit being true for today as they were when you read about them in the stories of the Bible in the New Testament. And the whole... The church agrees. I mean, the church that's really the church. You know, not the Jehovah's Witness, not the Mormons. Some of the... um, Trying to, I'm trying to, I hate to classify, but I'm, I'm trying to think the, some of the Orthodox, I, I don't think their doctrine is, is biblically proper in some areas, but, you know, who's got it perfect? Anyway, the church agrees on the foundational things, otherwise they really wouldn't be the church. You know, why did Jesus come? Uh, how do you receive Jesus? Those kind of things around salvation, but some of the other things, there's, there's, a, there's disagreement, there's, there's misunderstanding, and there's, there's neglect. And in our case, let me just get you caught up. I'm, I'm going to talk today, and maybe next week too, about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Um, I'm a little conflicted today, and I'm not exactly sure why. I'm certain it's not because of Ezekiel Fay, but there's, 
there's something messing with me. So if I, you know, if I need to do this twice, I'm going to do it twice. I'm going to talk to you today about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There um, certain streams of Christianity believe that, that when you're born again, you get the Holy Spirit, and you're done with your getting of the Holy Spirit. Others believe that when you're born again, you get the Holy Spirit, but you're not necessarily supposed to be done getting the Holy Spirit. That there's a second infilling or, or coming on of the Holy Spirit specifically that's called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But the scriptures even speak to, and the, and the disciples were continually filled with the Holy Spirit and with joy. So what we're going to talk about today is the second coming on. We'll talk about both, but the second coming on of the Holy Spirit that's called the baptism of the Holy Spirit, kind of what it is, um, how it happens, and why it happens. And I don't think I'm going to get through it all today, the, the examples, but I'm going to try. The other thing I want you to know before we start is some of you may be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Some of you may not be baptized. I'm not trying not to look at anybody. So if I just saw you and you thought I looked at you, I, I wasn't actually looking at you. I, I, so, some of you are probably baptized in the Holy Spirit. Some of you are probably not baptized in the Holy Spirit. Starting today, until we either have a Pentecost, I guess I can open my eyes now, until we either have a Pentecost or we start to see the passionate desire for the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the evidence of it actually happening every single Sunday, we're going to invite people to come forward. Now, there's not that many of us, so you may come once, you may come twice, you may come ten times. I prayed for the baptism of the Holy Spirit for two years, and I'm going to come again because I'm just not certain that that the power that the Bible describes actually is residing and finding its way, the rivers of living water, finding their way out of me. So I'm going to come and, and get prayed for. And if I'm baptized in the Holy Spirit, then no harm, no foul. But if the Lord comes over me powerfully and, and it starts to manifest through my life in, in a greater way, then I say amen. So please, if you're not sure, come. If, if you're pretty sure you're not, come you're going to see it's a commandment of Jesus himself. So your confession of faith would expect you to come and desire the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Okay. So there's at least two infillings of the Holy Spirit. The first happens when you confess faith when you're saved, when you're born again. The Holy Spirit comes and makes residence inside of you. The Holy Spirit regenerates. You're born again. You're dead to God's Spirit, becomes alive to God, and your spirit becomes one with God's Spirit. If you were to drop dead the next second, you would find yourself eternally with the Lord in heaven. You get the Holy Spirit because you came to faith in Jesus Christ. Let me just give you a couple of scriptures. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. In him, you also, him, Jesus, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. You listen to the message of the truth, the gospel you believed, you responded to the gospel. And in that moment then, God sealed you in his spirit. You're saved. If you have the Holy Spirit, you're saved. The, not in the sense of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, in the sense of you've confessed faith. Okay? You're saved. All right. Um, in Galatians chapter 3, Paul makes this statement, or he asks this question, and he's dealing with people that are now considering a gospel different than the gospel, a gospel of works rather than a gospel of faith. And he says this, this is the only thing I want, to I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit, capital S, Holy Spirit, by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Well, the answer is no one has received the Holy Spirit by the works of the law, right? It's by grace you are saved through faith, 
not of yourselves, so that no one would boast. It's by God's grace, through your faith, that you're saved and receive the Holy Spirit. It was by hearing with faith. Acts 2, 37 through 41. This is the day of Pentecost. Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart. This is the audience. This is primarily the Jewish people. They were pierced to the heart. They're hearing the gospel. They're pierced to the heart. No one comes to the Father unless they're no one comes to the Son unless they're drawn by the Father. That's the anointing on these people that causes them to be pierced to the heart. Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. And with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. So then those who had received his word were baptized, and that day there were added 3,000 souls. There's a process that happens. You hear, which is the gospel. You hear the gospel. You choose to respond to the gospel or not to respond to the gospel. Many people have heard the gospel. I, I shared the gospel with a man one time, and he said, I don't want it. I said, okay, you don't have to have it. You get to choose. God is pro-choice in that regard. No one is forced to respond to the gospel in a positive way. You hear the gospel. You respond to the gospel. When you respond to the gospel, you're born again. The Holy Spirit is indwelt inside of you. The response that you then make out of obedience to the, to, to the scriptures or to God through the scriptures is to be baptized in water. You hear, you believe, you respond. In that moment, you are born again, slash saved, slash redeemed, all the same. And then you go to the water of baptism. The, the point I want you to really understand is nobody baptizes unbelievers. If, if you see they were baptized in water, then whoever baptized them believed that they were born again. You never baptize somebody and then wait to see if they're going to respond to the gospel. That puts the cart in front of the horse. Got it? Okay. Romans 8, 9. It's so, it's so out of context, but, but it makes the point I needed to make. However... Apostle Paul speaking, however, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Okay, so that's just the, that's the key verse that you see that says that what differentiates a Christian from a non-Christian, a believer from an unbeliever, a person that if they died right now, they'd spend eternity with God versus the person if they died right now, they would spend eternity away from God in hell, ultimately in the lake of fire, is do they or don't they have the Holy Spirit? Not the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This, this Holy Spirit that comes in you when you make that confession of faith. I know it sounds like I'm just kicking this thing, but, but this is where the, confront, the, not confrontation, this is where the misunderstanding comes. You have the Holy Spirit. Now, I wish I could look inside and see. You know, like there was some little little like Rudolph's nose. You know, Rudolph has Holy Spirit because his nose glows red. The other one's nose doesn't glow red, so he doesn't have the Holy Spirit. I wish there was some easy way to tell, but there's not an obvious way to tell. Okay, what would that be? <laughs> okay. <laughs> the Bible does say that your spirit bears witness with his spirit that you belong to him. The mark of the Lord is the Holy Spirit. That's the seal. Okay, so, so here we are now, back in Jesus' time. Jesus is born, you know, he grows to the point where um, it's time for his ministry to start. He goes into the River Jordan, he's baptized by John the Baptist. He comes out of the river, the Spirit of God descends upon him like a dove and stays on him, which is the sign that John the Baptist was told by the one who sent him, which I think it was God, that he would know for sure who Messiah or Christ was. Jesus comes. He's baptized to fulfill all righteousness. He comes out of the water. The Spirit comes upon him, and then the voice from heaven says, this is my son 
in you I am well pleased, or this is my son, I am well pleased in him. Something like that, right? Then immediately, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Immediately then the Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness where he's tempted and tested for 40 days, ultimately at the end by Satan. And interestingly, the Scripture says he went into the Spirit, into the wilderness, out of the river, into the wilderness, filled with the Holy Spirit. But when he comes out of the wilderness, it says he exited the wilderness in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not sure exactly if something changed because he went into the wilderness, but it's an interesting distinction that's made. Okay, so now Jesus is, is doing his ministry for three years. He gets, he gets uh, taken captive. He is, um, suffers his passion. He hangs on the cross. He dies. He goes into the tomb. On the third day, he's resurrected. And then for 40 days, he interacts only with his disciples, more than 500 see the resurrected, literal, physical Jesus Christ. And then he does this, he gives instructions to his people before he goes, because he's about to ascend to the right hand of the Father. And in that, just prior to ascending, Jesus says and does this. This is in John chapter 20, verses 21 and 22. So Jesus said to them again, he said this, some of this in chapter 17, I think, so Jesus said to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. So there's a debate in the church about when the actual church, like the first born-again people, came about, were born again, either here or at the day of Pentecost. Now, it's interesting when you see people, you know, and it's going to feel like I'm trying to jam them up. I'm not, but I don't agree with certain doctrines, and, and, and much of the church doesn't agree with these doctrines. They, th- those that say there's only once, that the Holy Spirit comes on you one time and you're done, can't say this is where the church is born because they can't deny what happened on the day of Pentecost, which hasn't happened yet. It's subsequent to this scripture where Jesus breathed on them. So they have to say that, yes, it says that Jesus breathed on them and told them to receive the Holy Spirit, but they didn't. He was just warming them up for the day of Pentecost, which hadn't come yet. But that's ridiculous to believe, except if the scriptures have to fit your doctrine instead of your doctrine being built from the scriptures. So somebody has a certain belief, and then there are scriptures that, that don't work right, so they had to make they had to twist the scriptures to try to make them fit the doctrine. But we should get our doctrine just from what the scriptures teach. And you'll see that here. Okay, so what happened? Jesus breathed on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. They were probably the first New Testament believers, right? Prior to the resurrection, you could be saved but not by your faith in the resurrected Christ, by your faith in that there would be a resurrected Christ, so to speak. But these guys have walked with Jesus. They understand the gospel. They recognize him as Lord over their lives. They certainly believe he's resurrected because he was dead and now he's not. He's with them. And he breathes on them to receive the Holy Spirit. At that point, they're born again. Okay? All right. So when... Yeah, but we're not going to go there today. He asked, if you could have the Holy Spirit and lose it. But that's a, well, you want to talk about more controversy. I'll teach that one someday, though, because I, I, I can clearly demonstrate that in the Scriptures as well. Okay, so when does this Holy Spirit coming in you happen? It, it happens at the point of salvation. Why? That you be sealed as God's possession. You now belong to God. He's sealed you. He's put a stamp on you. The, the words are like earnest money. When you go to buy a house, let's say, and you make a deal, but you haven't consummated the deal, right? Because our deal's not consummated. The last two weeks we talked about running this race. The deal's not formally consummated until you exit this life, enter the next phase of life, the eternal phase of life with God. Until that point, it's not consummated. So God on his, you by your confession, and God on his part, he puts this earnest money into the deal. He seals you with the Holy Spirit, and that binds the deal. 
and how? By hearing with faith and responding to the gospel. Okay, now, I wasn't exactly sure the order to put all this stuff, but I think this will make sense to you. Now, we're at that point in the timeline again where Jesus is um, getting ready to go. So he's, he's sharing with his guys, his people, girls and guys, men and women, what it is that he's expecting of them. We call that the Great Commission. And I'll, I'll give it to you from each of the Gospels. The one that's most often quoted is Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. This is Jesus speaking, you know, just before he's going to go away. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So we see the Great Commission through one lens, as, as Matthew has put it down here, go into all the nations and make disciples, baptize them, teach them to obey all that I've commanded you, and I'll be with you always. Now, if you fast forward to the end of the, the Gospel of Mark, in chapter 16, verses 15 through 20, you see it through, really, the lens of Peter. Mark was kind of the scribe for what they believed to be actually Peter's Gospel. It reads like this, And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the Gospel to all creation. He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved, but he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. These signs will accompany... Let me just stop a second. Believed and been baptized. You don't have to be baptized to be saved. You get baptized as an act of obedience because you are saved. If, if that messes with your theology, I, I can't get into it today, but, but I'll show you why we know that's not the case, that you have to be baptized. So what I think, what I think Mark is saying here is, if you... Let me go find it again. He who has believed and has been baptized. So believing is, is, is how you come to faith. Baptism is your public confession of having come. So, so I believe, but I have to confess Jesus before men. Baptism is where I do that. I think that's the sense of being baptized that he's talking about here. But it's not a requirement of your salvation. Going on now. But he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. These signs will accompany those who have believed. In my name, again, Jesus speaking, in my name they will cast out demons, they will speak with new tongues, they will pick up serpents, and if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. So then, when the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere, while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the word by the signs that followed. In Luke's Gospel, chapter 24, 45 through 49, then he, Jesus, Jesus is with them. Jesus opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. Man, that's a prayer we ought to be praying. Lord, open my mind to understand the Scriptures. He opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins, would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are, you are witnesses of these things, and behold, listen to this, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Now, this is after he breathed on them and they received the Holy Spirit, and he's telling them that they're going to receive this promise of the Father. We're going to see that what that is in just a minute. Okay. Uh, back to John chapter 20, there's no real clear um, retelling of the Great Commission in John's Gospel, but the sort of part is here. So Jesus said to the, them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also sent you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. So just, just for some context, as the Father sent me, Jesus says, So I send you. Jesus said that he came, he was sent by the Father, and he sends us to seek and to save that which is lost, to call sinners to repentance, to destroy the works of the devil, 
And then in Luke 4.18, when he literally publicly proclaims himself in the synagogue as Messiah, he says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, and he has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. So if you wonder in your mission with God, what is it that you're to do? It's to seek and to save that which is lost, to call lost sinners to repentance, to destroy the works of the devil, to um, preach the gospel to the poor, kind of redundant, proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, which is every person. Even Christians are oppressed because they believe things that aren't true, but certainly the world is oppressed, right? To set them free and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Then in essentially the very same conversation, Jesus says this. Now this is in Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. I'm going to skip a little chunk, and then verse 8. Jesus speaking. Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised. Remember in Luke, the promise of the Father? Wait for what the the Father had promised, which he said, you heard of from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. If you remember in the beginning of the Gospels, you see John the Baptist saying that. There's one coming who's greater than me. I baptize you in water for repentance, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with the Holy Spirit and fire, depending on which Gospel you're reading. But you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So, They're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit, but we know they already have the Holy Spirit in the sense of being saved, right? Because Jesus breathed on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Are you with me? Am I beating it too hard? Okay. Sometimes when I do this, I think I'm trying to convince myself, but I'm real convinced on this one. You're feeling my passion. Okay, good. Alrighty. Not many days from now. Then verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. They already have the Holy Spirit in that they're saved, but they need this other thing called the baptism in the Holy Spirit for the purpose of gaining power, for the purpose of being his witness. Now, I would describe being the witness of Jesus as looking at Jesus' ministry in his life and then representing Jesus the way he presented himself as his witness, right? But most of us in the church, I don't want to say us, most of the church believes that we represent Jesus with words. We represent him with words. But Jesus, he spoke words, he proclaimed the kingdom of God was at hand, and then he demonstrated the power of the kingdom. He healed the sick, he raised the dead, he cleansed the lepers, he cast out demons. That's the witness of Jesus. And that's the witness that we heard in the Great Commission. These signs will follow, right? Okay, so the next what, when, why. What is the baptism in the Holy Spirit? When, in their case, after waiting, Jesus said, not many days from now. So he said, go. He said, listen, these are all the things I expect of you, and these are the signs that are going to follow. But don't go do any of them until you're clothed with power from on high. When you get the gift or the promise of the Father, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, where you will be empowered to be my witness. Paul, in... I want to say Corinthians, but every time I'm not sure, I think it's in Corinthians. But Paul says the kingdom of God is not in words, but in power. But the power feels a little tricky sometimes, so we can fall back. The, the, the world doesn't know anything. They never read the Bible yet. You know, we give them words, but we're supposed to give them the full witness of Jesus. And that doesn't happen without the baptism of the Holy Spirit to be his witness. Okay. Those early disciples, those first ones, they did as they were commanded to do. They didn't leave Jerusalem. They got together. Now, I don't know exactly what all they did while they were waiting. It took 10 days from when Jesus ascended till the day of Pentecost actually happened. But they did go and wait. And 
Now, in Acts chapter 2, we see the Pentecost experience. That we're, we're, we are a Pentecostal church. Our stream of Christianity is, is, is heavily weighted in our faith in the Pentecost that happened then, happening now. We, the, the powerful gifts of the Holy Spirit seem to be not present in the church for centuries, primarily not present. I don't know if it was, they were completely not present. So, so men started to develop doctrines as to why that was. Uh, they're called cessationists. They, they, they say that the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit were for a purpose in the first century to establish the church, but they've since been taken away because we have everything we need, which is the, the canon of the New Testament. So there's no need for any of the gifts of the Holy Spirit anymore. But, but that's not what the Bible teaches. That's not what the apostles were teaching. That's what the devil teaches. That's what the devil teaches. Amen. Doctrines of demons and doctrines of men. Listen, if the Bible says something and you don't see it happening, the issue is not with the Scriptures. We don't have to figure out why. Well, we don't have to build doctrines to explain why what we see in the Scripture doesn't happen. We need to press into the Lord until we see what we see in the Scripture happen. Okay, so here they are. They're waiting. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire distributing themselves. And they rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. I, keep, I, wanna, I just want to continue to pound this in. If you've made the confession of faith, you've received the Holy Spirit, you are sealed by that Holy Spirit, you're saved. But you don't necessarily have this, because that first part I said was true of them, until this happened to them. And they were literally, this is what Jesus told them to wait for. They were baptized in the Holy Spirit, given power to be his witness. And now Peter, I'm not going to go over this, but Peter, the one who, when Jesus was taken away in the garden, ran away, and now he's coming close, you know, they got Jesus, he doesn't want to get too close. And a little girl says, you're one of his followers. And he's like, no, I'm not. Now, Peter is standing in front of anybody that will listen, and he's proclaiming Jesus Christ. This power has come over him, and it's coming out of him now. Yeah, you've got to not get ahead of me. Okay. Raise your hand, but I'm not going to call on you. <laughs> I'm just joking. Yeah, yeah, I'll show you my notes next time, and then you'll know it's coming. Okay. Those in the upper room, having already received the Holy Spirit, were now baptized in the Holy Spirit, or as the Scripture says, filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak with other tongues. Now, you see in the book of Acts, you see what the church looks like. And one of the things you see is that whenever there, there was nobody that ever had a need, like if their septic system didn't work, they didn't have a need because if someone had money, they brought the money. If someone didn't have money, they sold something. Barnabas actually sold his property, took the, the proceeds, put them in the, in the feet of the apostles to, to meet the needs of the brethren, of the body of Jesus Christ. And, and that's happening with that testimony of how much, you know, Jesus has moved you guys to engage. That's biblical. That's the way the church is supposed to operate. Then this guy Saul shows up, and there's this persecution that happens. Stephen is stoned to death, one of the um, noteworthy disciples, I guess. And then you get to Acts chapter 8, and there's this guy called Philip the Evangelist. Now, because of the persecution, the Christians scattered to get away from the persecution and started to preach the gospel in the places that they scattered to. It's called the dysphoria or diaspora, something like that, the Greek word. Now, here's this guy, Philip. He's in Samaria, and he's preaching the gospel. It goes like this, Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 4. I'll read you 4 through 8 and then 12. Therefore, those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. 
Philip went down to the city of Samaria and began proclaiming Christ to them. He's sharing the gospel. The crowds with one accord were giving attention to what was said by Philip as they heard and saw the signs which he was performing. As they heard and saw the signs which he was performing. Remember in Mark's great commission? And these signs will follow? They're following Philip. For in the case of many who had unclean spirits, they were coming out of them, shouting with a loud voice. And many who had been paralyzed and lame were healed. So there was much rejoicing in that city. But when they believed Philip preaching the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized, men and women alike. So what happened? Philip goes to a place, Samaria. He starts to proclaim the gospel. God confirms the words with powerful signs and wonders, just like the Great Commission said he would. People hear the gospel. People believe. They responded to the gospel. Philip baptizes them. Who do you baptize? Saved people. Believers, right? You, you don't baptize unbelievers. It's important to understand the sequence. Philip baptized them. They were Christians. They were born again. They had the Holy Spirit in their faith, in their believing, right? Philip is like the poster child for who I want to be in the Bible. I want to share the gospel. I want God to confirm it with miracles and signs and wonders. I want the people who stand up and say, I don't believe in your God. Bring me somebody in a wheelchair. Bring me somebody blind. Bring me somebody deaf. Bring me somebody crippled. Bring me somebody with a demon. Let God demonstrate himself. Let him prove his kingdom and his, his majesty to them through his very power and then let them believe and be born again and saved. I think if I had to pick, I'd pick Jesus first. Like, you know, who do you want to be, Pat? I'd pick Jesus. That would seem to be pretty reasonable. But I might pick Philip second if that, you know, somebody already had picked Jesus before me if I had second picks. Okay. So that all happens. But then this happens. Chapter 8, verses 14 through 17. Same story. Now when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them, Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Well, hang on a minute. They baptized them. Philip baptized them. Of course they received the Holy Spirit. Peter and John, right? There's the twelve there's the rest of the disciples, but there's three of the twelve that were most, most intimate with Jesus. Peter, James, and John. They didn't send anybody. They didn't even send anybody of the twelve. They sent two of the three that were most intimate with Jesus straight to Samaria as soon as they heard that these people had received the word of God so that they would receive the Holy Spirit. But we know they had the Holy Spirit. How do we know they had the Holy Spirit? Because Philip baptized them. Because you only baptize believers, and once you believe, you get the Holy Spirit. So why did Peter and John rush to Samaria when they heard that people were being baptized? Because they wanted to make sure that they got the second baptism. That was uh, 17, 18, and 19. Now when Simon, uh, I didn't tell you about Simon. There's a guy, Simon. He was a very powerful sorcerer type guy. He actually got baptized, so he got born again. Simon's important to the story, but I took him out. That's who Simon is. I'll tell you more about Simon in a second. Now, when Simon saw that the Spirit was bestowed through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give this authority to me as well, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Now, Simon got pretty seriously rebuked for thinking that you could just give money and buy some authority from God to be able to Lay hands on people. But Simon saw something. There's no indication of what happened. Remember in, in the day of Pentecost, what happened? They spoke in other tongues. And they proclaimed the glories of God. Something like that. Here, it doesn't say that anything happened. But something pretty impressive happened. Because they wanted to give money. Or Simon wanted to give money. He'd had this other power, this demonic power. But now he's a Christian, and he's so blown away by what he saw that he wanted to be one of these baptize you in the Holy Spirit guys. 
He wanted to give money. So I don't know what the manifestation was of the people in Samaria when someone laid hands on them that they might receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But I know it must have been something because this guy Simon wanted to pay money to be able to do it, right? You wouldn't, you wouldn't say anything if you saw nothing. Now, I'm almost done. There's a doctrine the Assemblies of God has this doctrine. You know, just in case you didn't know, we're an Assemblies of God church. That's our affiliation. Assemblies of God are a Pentecostal church. The Pentecostal churches were birthed in the early 1900s when there was this huge revival that happened. For, like I started to tell you, for centuries, there was really no moving of the Spirit the way you see it. And I think it was because of unbelief. I think you get tested. God tests you. Tests your faith, Right? And if you pray according to the Scriptures, but you don't see the result according to the Scriptures, that's a tough one to deal with. So you try again, and you try again, and you try again, and you don't see them. Now now you've got to, you know, especially if you're the pastor, you've got to come up with an answer why that is. So you come up with doctrines, theology that explains, because you don't want to say, well, I'm, maybe I'm not a Christian, or I, I don't really have the Holy Spirit, or whatever. What pastor wants to tell people that? They'll go find another church. So you come up with doctrines. But God woke up the church in Wales, in uh, Southern California, in Australia. He woke up the church in what would be called a Pentecostal revival where, where they were having these meetings and the anointing would come and people would speak in other tongues. They'd just, they'd just start speaking in other tongues. And then there'd be messages in tongues. And there'd be interpretations. And there were healings and miracles and great signs and wonders. And these people were seeing these things. And they're like, wow, all that we've been taught that this doesn't happen anymore wasn't true. Because we're seeing it happen with our own eyes. So they'll go back to their church and they'll say, Pastor, you've got to come to Azusa Street and see what's going on here. But the pastor's got a doctrine. He's, he's got a way of understanding the scriptures. So he says, no, I, you know, that's not God. I mean, some big shot Christians came from around the world and experienced Azusa and um, crucified Azusa. I'm not, I can't think of a good word for that. But they, they basically said, that's not God, that's the devil. Except all the fruit was biblical fruit. So now here you are, you're this person, and you're in a church that doesn't believe, but you have the experience what are you going to do? Well, what they did is birds of a feather flocked together. They, they started having their own meetings, and from that kind of thing was born the Pentecostal church, the Assemblies of God, the Church of God, the, I don't know what, all the different, you know, the four square, all these different denominations that, that wanted to see God manifesting the way you see him in the Bible, edifying the church, building up the church, glorifying himself. Okay. So we see that the Holy Spirit is the absolute, well, Jesus is the center of everything, but the Holy Spirit is the absolute key to the church. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not part of the church. You could come to church. There are people that have been coming to church their whole lives that don't have the Holy Spirit because you don't get the Holy Spirit because you come to church. You get the Holy Spirit because you come to faith, Right? And you'll find somebody, you'll say, hey, you know, are you a Christian? They'll say, yeah, well, how do you know? Well, I've been going to church my whole life. Have you ever died to yourself? Have you repented of your sins? Have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ as the full payment for your sin debt? Well, I must have. I've been in church my whole life. Matthew, uh, Jesus in Matthew 7 says, on that day, many are going to come to me. And they'll, and they'll say, Lord, did we not? And prophesy in your name. Do many miracles and cast out devils in your name. And Jesus will say, I never knew you away from me. So there's people in churches that are not born again. They don't have the Holy Spirit. Having the Holy Spirit in the saving sense is absolutely you're saved or you're not based upon whether you have him. But there's another sense of gaining the Holy Spirit when he comes upon you in the baptism of the Holy Spirit so that you have this power. Now, the Pentecostal doctrine says that you know you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, that, that the initial evidence of having been baptized in the Holy Spirit is that you speak in other tongues. 
I'm not going to do it today, but I will next week. I'll, I'll share with you, the, there's five instances in the book of Acts where we see the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The first is on the day of Pentecost, and we see that the manifestation was the speaking of other tongues. The second is Philip in Samaria. Something happened. We know something happened. We know there was a sign that people were able to see when the people got baptized in the Holy Spirit, but it doesn't tell us what it is. So we have the first one, tongues. We have the second one, a sign, but we don't know if it's tongues. The third one is actually Saul of Tarsus, or or who we know as the Apostle Paul. And there's no indication of any sign that happened with Paul when he was baptized in the Holy Spirit. But we do know that Paul said to the Corinthian church, I'm glad that I pray in tongues more than all of you. So we know he had the gift of tongues. The fourth one is in Acts chapter 10, which is described as the house of Cornelius, this Gentile centurion. And Peter is called to come and share the gospel to Cornelius and his house. And in that one, we see that getting born again, so the initial uh, coming into them of the Holy Spirit and the baptism of the Holy Spirit happens at the same time. And it just, pow, it just happens because they start to speak in other tongues. That was such a sign to Peter because, see, they didn't believe that the Gentiles could actually be saved, that only Jews could be saved. And they had this conversation back in Jerusalem with all the big shots, and Peter's like, no, 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 I know because what happened to us happened to them, that repentance has been granted not just to the Jews but to the Gentiles as well. And the sign that he saw that he knew was the speaking of other tongues. Then finally, the fifth time you see is at Ephesus, where the Apostle Paul is coming into Ephesus, and he comes across these 12 disciples. And he asks them the question, uh, when you believed, did you receive the Holy Spirit? And they responded and said, we didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. So Paul, he says, into what baptism have you been baptized? And they said, into the baptism of John. So they were baptized into John's baptism of repentance. So Paul shares the gospel with them, and he baptizes them. So we know that they believed, and when they believed, they got the Holy Spirit. We know that of anybody who's not going to make a mistake, the Apostle Paul is only going to baptize a Christian, right? The Apostle Paul baptizes them. After baptizing them, he lays his hands on them to receive the Holy Spirit in the sense of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and immediately they began to speak in other tongues and to prophesy. So there's six, five instances of where we see the baptism of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament in the book of Acts. Three of those five, specifically, we see they spoke in other tongues. Two of those five, we see that they don't. I struggle with building my own personal doctrine saying that the evidence that you have it is that you speak in tongues when only 60% of the time we see that explicitly One time we can assume it, kind of, that's Samaria. So that'd be 80% of the time, but it's not 100% of the time. But something inside of me is saying, if we don't have some sign, we're not going to know. So I'm asking you guys to come, not not just yet. Margie? Okay, yep. So we'll just give Margie a minute. I'm asking you, if you're not absolutely rock-solid certain that you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, that you come forward, there'll be people up here to pray for you, to receive the Holy Spirit, just like we see, laying on of hands. And I'm instructing them, and I'm instructing you to continue to press in until we see the sign of speaking in other tongues. Now, I speak in other tongues. I have for quite a while. And I don't know what to do with that, to be honest with you. If you were to ask me... Wouldn't evidence be also the power of the Holy Spirit, which is casting out demons and all of those miracles? There's evidence of the, yes. power, of the power. Absolutely, yes. It, Keith said, wouldn't, wouldn't we know by the evidence of the other gifts of the Holy... Or the power gifts, yeah, gifts of the Holy Spirit. I'm getting gifts and fruit confused gifts of the Holy Spirit. And I would say, I would say yes. I think that should be, that should be a, 
a sign of that power. But see, Jesus doesn't describe exactly what that power is. He says, power will come upon you for what purpose? To be my witness. But he doesn't say what exactly that looks like. And nowhere, do at least you know, in my recollection of the scriptures, nowhere do we see that. But we have the testimony of the book of Acts that three, maybe four out of five times, tongues or tongues in prophesying is the sign. But so is healing. So is, you know, I would think so. I agree. But remember the guys that Jesus said, I never knew you? What did they do? They healed. They, you know. So I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm telling you, this is what I believe. I, I can't lay it out for you chiseled in stone so that you'll absolutely know. But I think it's a reasonably safe thing to do. And I really believe if you'll press in, you will. So I'm going to get prayed for because I want, I want to be Philip in Samaria. I want to be Jesus everywhere he went, right? Come on up, Kenner. Make yourself go. Push that thing up to green. Sure. Is, if, is it green? Is it turned green? Push the button up. There you go. No, no. You, I got, got it. it. There, there it is. Sorry. Technology. Old dog, new tricks. I'm re- rebuked this morning. I'll tell you why. I don't care a thing about Christmas. Christmas has never been a thing to me, ever. I just I go through it. It's that week I have to live through it. And the family enjoys it. And I just don't. I never have. I got seven brothers and sisters. They like Christmas. I've never liked it the way it works. But, my, and, but I buy gifts for my daughters and my wife. You know, I, it's a holiday. But my daughters, my youngest daughter's, Daddy, what do you want for Christmas? Baby, you're enough for me. I don't want anything. Daddy, I want to buy. You don't have to buy me anything, honey. I don't need any gifts. I mean, what do I need? I have enough clothes, enough food. I have a nice car. I mean, what are you going to get me? Socks? No, I got all that. I mean, there's nothing I want. But she's wanting to get me gifts. And so finally I wrestled. I said, all right, just, just something simple if you want. Well, now here's the issue. Why wouldn't I let my daughter... Bless me because she wants to in giving me a gift. For 43 years, I've been walking with Jesus. I have been in more churches and more states than you can kick a stick at. I've been under tent meetings and revivals. I've been in halls, special meetings of women's aglow and a Christian businessmen. And, and I've seen so many people Receive the Holy Spirit the way Pat is talking about. And many of them spoke in tongues. Not all of them. Some prophesied. But I want to tell you the hallmark. It was for them. I need no evidence of whether you're baptized in the Holy Spirit or not. I could Listen, I don't need to know any of that. It's not for me. The evidence is for me to know that I have the gifts that God wants me to have. So I resisted that early on in my life for the first month and a half, maybe two. I was in a big church that preached tongues in the back, Assembly of God, big one in Detroit. But when my wife called me one morning at my office and told me that she was reading a book by Charles and Francis Hunter, they speak with other tongues, she put the book down and went into our room and got on her knees and said, Lord, I want that. Now, my wife will tell you, I'm not telling you on her, she can't hold a note anywhere. She doesn't know A from Z. There's no Z. A to G in the music room. She can't hear a difference. She's tone deaf. But she says, I sang in a language, I have no idea what it was, in the most beautiful voice to the Lord. She went back to her book, and the devil said, that was just you. That's not possible. She went back in the room and did it again, and the devil was shut down. I got so jealous that I went to church that night, 
and told them I wanted a prayer, and they prayed for me, about 12 people, and I finally began to cry out in tongues, and from that moment forward, I've been speaking in tongues ever since. Issue of pride. But the one thing that happens, there's a change in life, because Jesus said, you'll receive power, and you'll be my witnesses, and this is what you do. So, uh, the life of Christ in us is eager to lay hands on the sick. The life of Christ in us is eager to speak to people about their lives. The life of Christ in us brings forth Christ. And that's where the baptism, the filling of the Holy Spirit is. Now, I get up in the morning and tell the Lord I want the Spirit of God all day long. But there's that initial experience with God that we can have. Where we know that we know that we know that we receive something from God that we didn't have. A gift. Whether it's tongues or whatever. But we received a gift. So let's not resist God and say, I don't want your gifts. I'm all right where I'm at. Probably not. Let's not resist him. Let's receive his gifts. Okay, well that led right into the last scripture that I had for you all. First thing I want to remind you is, this is a command. Jesus commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised. He's also commanded us to go and make disciples of all the nations, but don't go do that until you have this. And then the, the last scripture, which just wonderfully plays into what Kenner just said, is from Luke eleven thirteen, speaking to us and how if our children would ask us for a certain thing that we would gladly give them a good thing. We wouldn't give them a bad thing instead of a good thing. Jesus goes on to say, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So you could want to do this because you're commanded to. You could want to do this because you want to do this because you want to represent Jesus in the fullness of his presentation. You could just, well, I guess those are your options because he told you you had to, you have to. That's the way I look at the scriptures. I don't, I don't argue with God. If he tells me I have to, I just agree with him. So if you could just maybe give us a little bit of music.